What is good guys, welcome to Top House Sports, where we analyze and break down sports games from the week as well as our reactions and predictions from this past week. I'm Hansel Chu along with Kaden with 10 minutes and we have a lot to talk about so let's get started. So the Cavs beat the Celtics last night in a crazy overtime finish where the Cavs won and now they are 6-1, putting them second right behind the Milwaukee Bucks in the Eastern Conference standings. As with the Cavs progressing and how well they're playing together, Kaden, where do you see the Cavs finishing this year and what was your reaction to their win over the Celtics? I mean, man, that game was as competitive as you'll see out there. Like, they had these two teams played each other back-to-back games. I, I, I Actually, I think the Cavs may have had an in-between game. but well, like two to three games in-between. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Either way, they both went to overtime. So I think this, like, has the potential to be an Eastern Conference Finals series. Like, this Cavs team, if they start to figure things out, Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell are a dynamic duo. And to have the support of Jarrett Allen and along with Evan Mobley and Karis LeVert, this is a good team. The Cavs, I think they are going to finish top three in the East this year, barring any injuries. With how well they're playing and how dynamic all players are, there's no reason for them to not finish top three. All players work so well with each other. They basically have a fit for every single position, and there's no lacking position in this team. Let's start off with Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland. We saw last year, Darius Garland, he was an all-star, but with the injury to Colin Sexton, we saw his production on offense skyrocket. He's more of a pass-first point guard where his handles are really shifty and quick, and he's able to get downhill and make plays for other uh, teammates. And like we saw the Cavs last year, they were top five in the East before Jared Allen went down, Mobley went down for a little bit, and Garland went down with injury, and it started to go downhill after that. They're still able to make the playoffs, but then we saw very clearly against the Nets and against the uh, the Atlanta Hawks in the playing tournament, they just did not have that reliable score besides Darius Garland to pull through in the clutch. So what did they do in the offseason? They traded for Donovan Mitchell, and now they have such a loaded roster, and they got their final piece. Donovan Mitchell, we all know he's that three-level scorer. He's able to drive, shoot mid-range, and three. This guy is the perfect complement to Darius Garland. We know Mitchell's a high-level scorer. He's able to relieve offensive pressure from Garland. And Garland, I love his game. He's a passer's point guard, but the way he's just so crafty with the basketball, he's so shifty. We saw multiple times against the Celtics when the big switches onto him. This guy just, you know, his handles are elite. I'm going to put him as probably the top three ball handler in the entire league right now. He is so good with the ball. He's getting downhill. He's making tough shots. His shot is looking so smooth as well. And just coming off of an injury, this guy put up at least 20 points and 10 assists. It's a great sight to see if you're a Cavs fan. And for Donovan Mitchell... Again, his hot start to the season continues. He's been so elite offensively. There's no reason for them to keep stopping right now. So you have a dynamic duo with Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland. Now you have great defenders with Jared Allen and Evan Mobley. I see them as the modern twin towers right now. That reminds me of Hakeem Olajuwon and Ralph Sampson in the 90s in terms of defense. Both of them are defensive first players. So you have Jared Allen really good in the rim protecting it, shot blocking, so no one can get into the defense. Evan Mobley is that all-around defender where he's able to switch onto guards, disrupt players in the post. There's long wingspan. I swear, that thing's over like 7 foot 5, so it's really hard to get a shot over him. You have two defensive anchors in the front court, paired with two really great offensive players in the backcourt, and now you have Karis LeVert, a great scorer off the bench. Last couple, or about two, three years ago, when he was on the Nets, he scored 50 in Boston, which is kind of funny to say because he did play Boston again. In Brooklyn, when he was there in 2019, 2018, he was one of those emerging players to become 
the most improved player of the year. Karis LeVert was in that conversation, and he was one of the leading scorers in Brooklyn. And when Brooklyn made it to the playoffs in 2019 with D'Angelo Russell, Karis LeVert was on that list and being one of those top players. And then him, he got traded to the Cavs. And then just that first meeting this year against Boston, he scored 41 against them. So you have Karis LeVert, a great six-man off the bench, paired with a long, great veteran players such as Kevin Love, Robin Lopez, and Ricky Rubio. This whole Cavs team is super well-rounded. I don't see them stopping anytime soon. <clears throat> I feel like, for the most part, all that you said is completely true. This team, like, has the pieces to figure it out now. Like, having that pass-first point guard that's also capable of doing, like, so many other things for a team, and then adding another dim- dimension, like, an all-star. Like, Donovan Mitchell's going to really improve this team as well. And their play together, I feel like, from what I saw yesterday, they're going to work really well together. And... Yeah, as you said, like, the supporting pieces, too. Like, Karis LeVert is capable of dropping, like, 30 any at any other game. And Jared Allen is the perfect, like, big that you want in there. A lob threat. Someone who could just, like, take the re- relieve the stress of the guards through screens or something like that. And then Evan Mobley. He's an emerging, like, I don't want to say superstar. I don't think I see that yet. But he's an emerging young star in this league for sure. And I think that his development is going to prove to be pivotal for their success. No, definitely, yeah. I think Evan Mobley, he's really raw offensively right now. Um, I mean, now is not his time to kind of go into his bag, work on like mid-range jump shot, fadeaway jumpers type of thing. But him on the defensive end reminds me of a young Anthony Davis his, with his long wingspan, his physical tools. He's able to disrupt so much things on the defensive end. And he's only his second year, so he has a lot of time to, to develop offensively. But, I mean, as we've seen so far, this Cavs team super well-rounded. And we know Donovan Mitchell in the playoffs, he turned into a different beast. I know there's been times where he's been inconsistent in the Jazz, but that was because there was no one else to relieve pressure off of Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell right now has all the tools needed to help him succeed. He has a point guard that could also score as well. A great six-man off the bench with Karis LeVert. It's almost a little bit like Utah, where they have a shot blocker with Jared Allen. Uh, a point guard that's able to run the offense with Mike Conley and a great six-man off the bench in Jordan Clarkson. But now all of them are upgraded when he's on the Cavs with, I would say, Darius Garland is way better than Mike Conley. Karis LeVert and Jordan Clarkson, they're both around equal. Both can get you buckets. And Jared Allen, I know he's not the defensive player Rudy Gobert is, but he's still able to get it done. And I know Evan Mobley is mixed in with that. I think they could both complement just how Rudy Gobert did with Donovan Mitchell. And if you're the Celtics... A tough loss, you do move down to 4-3. and three. Are you starting to press the panic button a little bit, or, or are you still riding on their wave? Honestly, like, this team has played such, like, a vast amount of competition to start the year. Like, they've played the Cavs twice. they played the Bulls, the Sixers. Like, the competition that they've played is toward the top. And so I'm not really worried because it's not like they're getting blown out. It's not like they're not playing well. These are good games. Both these games went to overtime, and they lost both. If if things went a little differently, they could have like definitely been like six and one right now. But this team came up short, and that is something to worry about not being able to close games. But is it a cause for concern for the rest of the season? No, I don't think so. I think that they're gonna start to ease into it once they start playing maybe some worse teams. But yeah, for now, coming off of two L's against the Cavs and then one against the Bulls, it's just unfortunate. But you'll get through it. Oh, definitely, yeah. Let's move on to the Los Angeles Lakers. Now they're on a two-game winning streak with Russell Westbrook coming off the bench. Uh, adjustment Coach Darwin have made. And with the two-game win streak, do you think this is an overreaction and, hey, the Lakers are figuring it out? Do you think it's going to work? Or do you think it's 
they still need to make trades? Um, I think the trades are still needed to be made. However, I really like the move of having Russell Westbrook coming off the bench because it allows him to like have a lot of like ball control with the second unit, like be that dominant guy on the court like he was in Oklahoma, like he was in Houston for that little bit. But overall, him running with a second unit and providing that burst of energy off the bench is proving to be just such a good move for Darvin Ham. And I feel like if they surround... I don't think they need to trade Russell Westbrook. I don't think that's a necessity anymore. But I still do think that they need to make a move, whether it's trading their picks for more shooters. They definitely need to do something. I think it can work to a certain extent. Russell Westbrook, I it's only a small uh, small sample size. He's played two games off the bench. He played great coming off the bench, I would say. But again, like you said, I do think trades need to happen for shooters. Russell Westbrook, the thing though about yesterday when they're playing the Pelicans, I saw Russell Westbrook. I know he came off the bench, but he was still playing with LeBron and AD for the most of the majority minutes that he played. And when I saw that though, I think the thing that got me in what might make this work was when Russell Westbrook had the ball a lot of times I saw LeBron setting the screen for Russell and let Russell attack downhill and make plays I think that's really going to work because Russell Westbrook needs the ball I'm sorry this guy cannot catch and shoot the basketball they tried so many times it's just not going to work and we know LeBron's a ball dominant guard as well but if LeBron could just give up that point guard duties for Russell Westbrook when he's on the court I think it's going to make the offense flow so much easier because LeBron he's I think he's a better shooter than Russell Westbrook he could spot up better and when you have Russell Westbrook trying to make plays, get him more integrated into the offense, it's gonna ha- it's gonna create better looks for your team. I know LeBron's old, so he's not gonna be that physical guy getting downhill anymore because now he doesn't have that first step. He's relying more on the fadeaway jumpers, which is just it's not a good shot. It's not a high percentage shot. If you have Russell Westbrook attacking the defense, getting the defense to collapse, and then kick it out to LeBron on a cut or kick it out to LeBron for a three. I think it's just going to make the offense work so much more efficiently, so much easier. And when Russell Westbrook does go back to the bench, then hey, yes, LeBron, you can get back to the point guard duties, do what you do best, passing the ball, making plays for other teams. But with the Lakers right now, I still think that trades need to happen. If you have Lonnie Walker as your best three-point shooter right now, that's not a recipe for success. Still, Even though they did win and they're on a two-game winning streak, there's Three-point shooting is still horrendous. I know yesterday they went like, what, 8 for 36 or 10 for 36? Still a really low percentage. So trades still need to happen. I think they still need to make that Pacers trade, whether it'll be selling Russell Westbrook to them or giving up multiple people. I still think they need Buddy Hill and Miles Turner. What do you think? Um, <clears throat> I don't know if it's those players specifically. Obviously, they will help. But now with saying like Russell Westbrook is starting to find his groove with this team and it's starting to turn into wins. I don't think that they necessarily need to move him. I really think that they should just consider moving like just expendable pieces. Maybe like I know they're going to hate it, but maybe like Austin Reeves because I know he holds value. He's a young player and maybe tossing a pick or two. I think that'll definitely receive in- interest from lesser end tanking ish teams. And there's definitely shooters out there that they can go and grab. So I think that'll very well that'll be very good for that team as they as you were talking about like 10 for 36 again having just terrible shooting to start the year but this team is closer like you're starting to see not evolution but just improvement and that's what you need to see and i feel like the improvement can actually take off if they get a shooter a reliable one for sure and speaking of a player that's been you know improving and making plays on the court the guy matt ryan yesterday the hero for the los angeles lakers Get shooting that fadeaway three-pointer from the corner to tie the game and send the game to overtime. 
do you think he's going to start playing a more integral part in the offense or is he just there to kind of come off the bench for like 10 minutes um the thing is i've seen this type of player before like garrison matthews then like Kyle Korver, there's just these streaky shooters, you know? They always have to be a threat because at any time they can just start making shots crazy. Um, I remember seeing Matt Ryan in a Celtics Summer League, and this guy's a shooter. Like, I, he earned this Lakers roster spot for, like, for this reason. Like, he can shoot lights out. And while he may have some questionable shot selection at times, like, he proves to, like, be able to knock down the shot in reliable situations. So I think someone who has the capabilities to do that really can be an important piece to this team. So I think that it's possible that not only not only we see him play more, but maybe we see him inserted into the starting lineup to provide some expendable shooting out there for LeBron and AD to pass to. For me, I think Matt Ryan has solidified himself a spot on this on this rotation for the Lakers. I know it's kind of hard to I mean, I think it's easy to see diamonds in the rough with how rough the Lakers are shooting from three-point range. So any time a person could make a couple threes, I think it's safe to say, hey, he's a shooter for the Lakers. But he is a pretty tall dude, I would say. I think he's like 6'7", six, 6'8". Six, so he has pretty tall height for his position. So he's able to shoot over a lot of people. And his shooting form, I know he didn't have the best of shooting games yesterday, but his shooting form looks pretty smooth, pretty pure. And he has great mechanics on his shooting, so I would say he has started himself maybe off the bench, maybe like 12, 12, 15 minutes. But I think he's going to have a huge part in this Lakers offense with his shooting ability. And another player that has started to solidify himself as the third best player on this Lakers team, I would say yes over Russell Westbrook, Lonnie Walker. This guy has been playing so well to start the season for the Lakers. But again, with him being the best three-point shooter, like that kind of says a lot about this Lakers construction. But he's been so good, especially yesterday, when he's able to go downhill, attack, and he is so, so bouncy. I mean, this guy could honestly go for the slam dunk contest. Like, I'm not sure what the NBA is thinking. This guy should be in the slam dunk contest this year because he has hops. For This guy could jump over anybody. I'm not sure if you saw two clips yesterday where this guy just floated above the rim. What do you think about Lonnie Walker so far during the season? I mean, honestly, I've always been a fan of Lonnie Walker going in even into his Spurs days. I feel like his athleticism is really gifted for someone of his caliber. Like, he's a point guard being able to move out there and just be, like, taking over the rim over, like, way bigger defenders. And so I think that's a really natural gift that he has. And so his ability to finish, we know that. But I think the main question relies on his consistency with his shooting. Although you did say he's leading this team with the three-point percentage. I know he takes a decent amount of shots per game, so he does he does have an he's impactful when he is out there always, but Lonnie Walker also is a questionable decision maker at times. That's something he struggled with in San Antonio as well. But it honestly seems like he's starting to figure that out in Los Angeles, not having like a primary role, maybe being like just a supportive role behind like LeBron, A D and all them. And so I'm honestly I'm really liking the fit to try and replace Malik Monk. I feel like if anyone were to do a good job, it would be him. And so, yeah, his his um impact has been very prevalent to begin the year, and I hope he can keep it up because he's starting to play really well, and this team may start to rely on him a little bit for some of that scoring. Oh, definitely. I mean, I think his role in the Lakers was way more simplified when he was in San Antonio. Now he just has to play off the ball. He barely 
has to create his shot for his own because now you have LeBron and Russell Westbrook kind of creating the shots for him. I see him a lot of times he's cutting to the rim when LeBron's driving or when Russell Westbrook's driving. And that's going to be great because we know he is a high flyer. He is a great finisher at the rim. And that's going to really improve his game. We all saw that. And I think his three-point shooting has been improving as well. I think we saw in San Antonio, he wasn't the best of sh three-point shooters, not the best jump shooter. But I think this year, when he's not having to create his own shot and just being that spot-up corner shooter, I think that's really just going to help his game a lot and improve his efficiency. And uh, for the last segment for our NBA today, we have the Phoenix Suns. They're 6-1. I'm... Are you surprised with their strong start to the season, or are you kind of expecting this? Um, I mean, listen, we know how the Suns are in the regular season. Like, that's not really the question. We know they're going to find success against teams, but is it going to translate later is the main question. I am very, like, I, I expect them to get a top three seed, honestly, as they have been doing for the past few years now. And while they may not get a 60 win, to, like, 60 wins this year, they're definitely going to be atop the conference. And so I can confidently say that they're going to be in the playoffs again this year. But the question is, can they get over that hump? We saw them get all the way to the finals a couple years ago. And to have a disappointing season last year, giving up that huge lead to Luka in Game 7, just a very embarrassing way to go out. So you know these guys are hungry for revenge. And so I'm excited to see what type of intensity they bring this year or whether it's going to continue into the playoffs. But... This team wants it, and you can tell. I have the receipts, Kaden. You put this team around the 7th, 8th seed <laughs> before the season started. I think they're proving you wrong. I had them around the 4th or 5th seed, and I'm not surprised with this strong start either. Um, we've seen this story before multiple times these past two years with Chris Paul getting traded to the Suns. They are a great regular season team. We all know that. We have more players stepping up. Macau Bridges, a couple nights ago, had 27 against the Pelicans, and about two, three games ago, or two, three days ago, Cam Johnson had 29-point outburst against the T-Wolves. So we know these players are able to shoot. These players are able to score. We know Devin Booker is their leading scorer, and Chris Paul is the main guy facilitating for this offense. But again, like you said, the question still remains, are they able to succeed in the postseason? We know they, I would kind of say they succeeded in the first time with Chris Paul. They made it to the finals. They did choke that 2-0 lead, but it was a great progression to see the Suns coming from that bottom tier team all the way to the finals in 2021. And then we all know last year what happened. They lost in the second round. So the, still, the, the question still remains if they could succeed in the finals. And I think they still have a strong chance, but this might be the last year for Chris Paul. I know we've been saying that for the past couple years, but I really do believe this is the last chance Chris Paul has for a ring because he's already, what, 36, 37 years old? Oh, no, he's 38 now. 38 now. So Okay, so I'm undervaluing his age. This guy is getting older and older. He is not getting any better, I would say. Like he's already past his prime, his playmaking's still there, but we know his shot creation. If he's not able to create shots, he is going to be a liability on offense. So, this is the last year for Chris Paul. I'm hoping he does get a ring. He's been one of the all time greats in the point guard position, but we're just going to have to see if he comes up in the playoffs. Yeah, and Chris Paul has always been like for his height, a good defender, but losing that burst of energy, he's just going to not only be like a reliable on offense if he's unable to create, but right now his defense is looking a little suspect because he isn't moving like he may have used to. And so this team, while they're still performing well, Chris Paul is starting to, I don't want to say it, but his age is starting to show a little bit. And so definitely the years are have been running out for a while for him. And like you said, I wouldn't be surprised if this could be one of his final years. And I mean, for his sake, he he's had such a successful career. I wish him the best. I hope he does win a ring before he retires. So 
I, I'm hopeful for this team. Oh, definitely, yeah. And let's move on to the final segment of today. Our weekly predictions for the NFL never gets old. And let's start with the Colts and the Patriots. Who do you have winning that game? Um, I honestly think that the Patriots are going to win this game. The Colts have really started to struggle. And I really think that it starts with the running back unable to perform like he did last year in Jonathan Taylor. I saw a stat where um, I think it was comparable. Um, Christian McCaffrey's game. I know this is fan. We're, we're, I'm going to talk in terms of fantasy, so this might be a little tough. You may not understand it, but uh, the audience. But um, Christian McCaffrey put up 40 points last week because he had the passing touchdown, scoring touchdown, and rushing touchdown. And along with like a lot of receptions and such, he scored a 40 points. Um, in the past six weeks, from week two till week eight, Jonathan Taylor has put up a total of 43 points in that stretch. So we we know how much this guy's been struggling. And so I really think that he like this is a problem for this team. If he's unable to do what he did last year, then they're they're not gonna really be able to have a chance at all. So yeah. Yeah. I know that's a little extended, but I think that it's important to touch up on his struggles this year. Oh definitely. I mean the Colts they have just been barred with injuries. It kinda sucks to see Taylor has missed a couple games. Matt Ryan is out for a couple of weeks as well. And we saw Michael Pittman go out with a couple injuries this season. So just a lot of injuries for this team. It sucks to see because they were probably one of the better teams in the AFC and they should have won their conference last year. But yes, I, for this game, I'm also taking the Patriots. We also have the Thursday night game, the Eagles and the Texans. Um, I don't think there's any competition for this one. Yeah, no, I saw the odds for this game. I'm like, dang, I can make a lot of money betting on the Texans, but who's going to bet on the Texans? No one with common sense. So I'm taking the Eagles. <laughs> oh, definitely. Yeah, the Eagles too. They still stay undefeated. And then we also have an AFC East matchup with the Bills and the Jets. I'm going to make a bold prediction. Give me the Jets over the Bills. And my reasoning why, there's always just one game in the season. Last year, we saw the Bills lose to the Jaguars. And I know that I can't even name other ones in the previous seasons. But it always seems every year, the Bills just lose one game that they should have won. I'm taking the Jets for this one. I mean, to be honest, we know how good the Bills have been. And so... It would be really hard to go against them. <laughs> but on that note, for the sake of this, I'm going to agree with you, Han. I think that this is the type of game that the Bills can lose and very well. Like, I think they will lose, but I'm going to go a little more in depth. I think that it's because like, they're hungry off of a loss against the Patriots. I know that it was a little bit disappointing for them. Um, Zach Wilson threw, I think, three picks. And it's just you want to bounce back from that. They won, I believe, four games in a row, and they don't, they didn't look satisfied. So their defense also taking a step up with Sauce Gardner just becoming a lockup corner. I think that this team has the ability to shut, not shut down, but come as close as you can to shutting down this offense. And so I think that there's an off chance that they can win this game for sure. All right, let's move on to the Raiders and, Jackson, and the Jacksonville Jaguars. Who do you have winning that game? I honestly am going to take the Jacksonville Jaguars in this game. I think the, the Raiders have struggled this year, but not only because of that, I think that Trevor Lawrence is kind of finding his groove. And while Derek Carr may be struggling to get accustomed to throwing to anyone not named Devontae Adams, I think that they're just going to take this game because, I don't know, the play from the Jaguars has been solid as of late. They've been dropping games, but in, in those games, they haven't been completely like just drawn out and looking terrible. Give me the Raiders for this game. I know both teams suck, but Josh Jacobs has been on a tear besides the game before that, but 
to be fair, he did play a very stout Saints defense who has always been known for stopping running backs. Jacksonville, I think they're on the opposite spectrum where they've been allowing a lot of points and yards to running backs. So Josh Davis is going to have a feast of a game. Derek Carr is not going to be throwing for 200 yards. I'm going to say that right now. Josh Davis is going to go over 100 and carry this Raiders offense for the win. And then we have a Dolphins and the Bears. Who do you have winning that game? The Dolphins. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. I really don't yeah. really need to dive into that. I think the Bears have just shown throughout the season that they're not able to compete with contenders. And as we established earlier in this podcast, now with Bradley Chubb, and also signed a five-year extension for over $100 million to today. Sucks to hear, bro. Yeah. That should have been us, but it's okay. <laughs> but yeah, no, adding that to their defense, contenders. So I don't think that it was this game. Oh, definitely. Yeah, there's no question to be said. Given the Dolphins, Tua is back and healthy. I'm not surprised they put up 50 on the Bears. And we have the Bengals and the Panthers. Who do you have winning that game? Honestly, I feel like this is a very Bengals game to lose. But but they have been playing well as a recent. And so I'm going to give them that. I can't go against the Bengals even with the <laughs> the abilities that the, char- the um, Panthers may have to beat them. I'm going to go with the Bengals and simply say that I think the T. Higgins has over 100 yards this game. No Jamar Chase, we saw Joe Burrow struggle, but I don't think Joe Burrow is going to struggle twice in a row. He did play a Browns defense who's also, who's been pretty underrated. Their defense is starting to find it, its groove, but the Panthers, their defense is horrible. I think Joe Burrow has a great bounce back game, and like you said, I do agree T. Higgins should go off for over 100 yards, giving the Bengals over the Panthers. Then we have the Chargers and the Falcons. This one could be a pretty interesting matchup, but who do you have taking this game? I'm going to go with the underdog. I think that the Falcons can pull this out because of the struggles that the Chargers have had this season. We do get Justin Herbert back and along with like a good chunk of the team, but they're still without Keenan Allen and now without Mike Williams. So their wide receivers are looking a little suspect. And I think that coupled with the fact that the Falcons are starting to, I don't know if I want to say figure things out, but they're starting to play consistently well. I think that this could be a potential loss for the Chargers in the way that Mariota dominates the run game through like and and um uh, Algier Algier has been a very very big bright spot for them during Cordero Patterson's injury and so I think that they have started to figure things out and for that reason I'm going to take the Falcons over the Chargers. I want to side with you so bad. I'm rooting for the Falcons because I mean AFC West <laughs> I don't like the Chargers but I don't know. I like the Chargers over this one. I think Eckler's going to have a monster game on the ground. The Falcons' defense, I think they're on the better side in terms of the pass. But I think against the run, they're not that great. Give me Eckler. He's going to go over for 100. And Herbert's just going to do enough to get the win for the Chargers. The Falcons, I know they've been looking solid for the past couple weeks. But their offense is also shaky at times. They're also inconsistent on offense. So... I'm going to take the team that's more favored to win, giving the Chargers over the Falcons. Then you have the Green Bay Packers against the Detroit Lions in a divisional showdown. Who do you have taking that game? I have the Lions taking this game. I think that they've just been steady. Besides the one fluke that they had against the Patriots where they got shut out, they have been a consistent um, offense throughout the whole year. And them being able to compete toe-to-toe with the Dolphins last week, I think that really proves to show like this team can maybe upset one a better team than them. And I think that's going to happen in this case. I think that Green Bay has been also struggling too. 
coming off of losses against like the Giants and just other teams that are really not like should not be beating them. The Jets as well. Yeah, the Jets. Um, I think that that'll happen again. Honestly, I think that the Lions are just gonna have a very fantastic game back. We know that DeAndre Swift is back and healthy now. Monra's back, and the dimensions are starting to just kind of like get become figured out for this team. And while they're definitely not a contender, not even close. I think that they can put up a solid game and actually pull this out. You did say the Commanders beat will beat the Packers last week, and I don't even know how that happened. And <laughs> you, you, you somehow were right, so I'm not surprised if your prediction against the Packers comes true this week. But I'm gonna still stay with my gut feeling, give me the Packers over the Lions. Both defenses are horrendous. I it's kind of it's kind of surprising to hear that the Packers defense has been so horrible this season when they're kind of ranked as one of the better defenses in the league, if not top three or the best in the entire league coming into this season. But Aaron Rodgers and this offense, should I even say they're better than the Lions? Because I know I the Lions know. were, in the beginning of the season, the Lions were probably the best offense in the league. It's just that their yeah. defense was so bad. But I, I don't know. I feel like I'm trusting Aaron Rodgers more than the Lions. And I think the Packers defense is going to start to figure things out against the Lions. They're going to start making it tough for the Lions to get things going on offense. Give me the Packers over the Lions. Then we have the pa- not the Patriots. Then we have the Vikings and the Commanders. I think we all know the Vikings are, should easily win this game. Yeah, and I'm very excited to see how TJ Hawkinson is incorporated into this offense. I think that's going to just, oh my gosh, I'm I'm excited for that team, man. Oh, definitely, I, yeah. Like, that's, some, that's something that, like, I don't know, like really underratedly affects a team. Like, his impact is going to be just so good, and I already know it. And then we have an NFC West Divisional Showdown, the Seahawks or the Cardinals. This is tough. I actually think this is going to be a very good game. And I'm going to take the Seahawks. Not because I think that they're, like, I don't know. I think that the better team is honestly Arizona. But this team has just been hitting on all cylinders. I think that the defense, like, comparably, the Seahawks' defense has just been consistently good this season. While the 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 Cardinals maybe have a few questions. And that could be also due to injuries as well. But for now... I think that I'm going to go against the Cardinals and take the Seahawks. They've been impressing throughout the whole entire year, and I think that they'll continue to do so. And so, yeah. For me, I'm going to take the Arizona Cardinals over the Seahawks. All good things must come to an end at some point. Uh, we saw last week against the Giants and the Seahawks. The Giants, they had a great they had a great momentum going into the game. Seahawks did too, but one of them had to lose. And unfortunately, the Giants did lose that game. Same thing here goes for the Seahawks. They have a great run going into this game. But the thing that just kind of tips over the rail is Arizona's at home. If it was Seahawks and they're at Seattle, maybe I would lean toward the Seahawks. But because Arizona's at home, I do think home field plays a huge factor. And DeAndre Hopkins is back. I mean, oh, yeah. the first two oh, games yeah. he's back, this guy has is a reception god. This guy's been catching at least 10 catches every game for over 100. And he's going to get touchdowns for sure. So give me Arizona over the Seahawks. Also love to see it too. I mean, I, I had him figured off i i knew that he was gonna be good when he came back and i'm like oh six week suspension i could just wait that out a little bit and boom he comes back and he is rolling d hop never question him always gonna be atop the best wide receivers in the league so yeah definitely if if you're questioning his abilities you should not be and this this cardinals team is becoming more legit like i think that once marquise brown becomes like healthy again he's gonna provide another dimension for this offense but for the time being i'm gonna stick with the seahawks and next, we have one of the better games that happened last year in the divisional round in the playoffs where the Rams and the Bucks faced off. What a classic game that was last year. 
But this year, it's not kind of a different story. Both teams are struggling to find their step. But then now they have a rematch again. Who do you have taking that in this game? I think this is going to be a bit of a surprise. I want to take, to, to take the Rams so bad. But I have something... I have a gut feeling that Tom Brady is not finished. And that we're going to start to see... I don't know. Just... We know that this team is already like in the position that they're in. They're capable of still winning the division. So they can still get to the playoffs. I think that this week is going to be a huge win for them and provide momentum going into the rest of the year. I think that they're going to make the playoffs. I don't know if they're going to go far, but I definitely think that their momentum is going to carry over from this game and that I think the most important, like pivotal part of this game, we know the Rams defense is going to lock up the run. So Tom Brady's going to torch with 300 yards. This is fun because I'm just always going against you at this point today. <laughs> uh, give me the Rams over the Bucks, man. Both defenses are solid. They're not the best of the best this season, but they're still really solid. They could go off for it. They could hold down any team at any given night. The offenses are a different story, though. I don't know. Cooper Cups just still looks untouchable. This guy cannot be guarded, and I don't see anyone in the Bucks secondary that can still guard him unless they double-team him. Uh, Stafford, he's been looking inconsistent, but... I don't know. Something just kind of leans toward the Rams. In years past, the Rams, they beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the playoffs. They beat them in the regular season. They beat them the year before that as well. So I don't see the Rams losing to the Bucks. I feel like they have their numbers. So give me the Rams over the Bucks on Sunday. Then we have the Sunday night matchup, the Titans and the Chiefs. Who do you have winning that game? I'm going to actually take the Titans. I know that this is going to sound bad, but I feel this like... crazy. I know, man. I know, I know. I'm Listen, I know what Pat Mahomes to do. I know that the Chiefs are just incredibly talented. They're going to be a contender. They are a contender, but this is a Chiefs game to lose. I know that the Titans in years past have well... Like, it's specifically Derrick Henry. He's caused problems for their defense. And you know their defense this year is solid. But the more solid on pass pass defending, their run defense, besides um, the uh, constant abilities of Mr. Jones, they have been struggling. And so I think that Derrick Henry is just going to have a very, very good game. I, th- I, like, I know this is going to be crazy, but I'm saying like 150 yards, two touchdowns. So I'm fully expecting this to be a hugely run-dominant game from both sides, too. I think Clyde Edwards-Lair is going to have a good game, too. But... We know that this defense is has no questions around it. Like Kevin Byard, we know the d- multi-dimensions for this Titans defense. And so I think that this is a game in which we see the Chiefs struggle. This is blasphemy, bro. I cannot <laughs> believe I'm hearing this from you. Um, first of all, Derrick Henry, this is not 2020. I'm sorry. Like Derrick Henry is not the same player he used to be. I know he had the injury last year, which kind of derailed his step. He hasn't really found his step, like his explosiveness at all this season. I know he got the AFC Player of the Month, but to be fair, he was playing teams against his division. And when he plays games in his division, it's kind of unfair because all of his, all the teams in his division kind of suck at guarding the run. The Chiefs, I feel like you're underrating the Chiefs' defense. Let's go back a couple games where they competed against the Bills. The score was only, what, like 23-20 or 24-20? That's... I would say that's pretty low scoring with how high-powered their offenses are between the Bills and the Chiefs. 24-20 is pretty low scoring, I would say. So if they're able to hold the Bills, who I would say have the best offense in the entire league to, what, only 24 points, they're holding the Titans to less than 20 for sure. Maybe even less than 17, I would say. This Chiefs defense is really, really good. They're able to hold down the run. And Derrick Henry, he's lost his step. 
And we know the Chiefs are going to center their defense game plan around Derrick Henry. So they're going to be loading the box. Henry's not going to go anywhere. And I feel like this Titans offensive line isn't as good as it used to be. And Pat Mahomes has been playing on another level. We know his wide receivers have been great as well. And no one can guard Travis Kelsey on the Titans. So give me the Chiefs over the Titans on Sunday night. Then we finish it off in Week 9 with the Ravens and the Saints. Who do you have winning that game? Honestly, I'm going to take the Saints. I think that the Ravens... This I know, I know, <laughs> I know. You're choosing all of the underdogs this year. I think that this is going to be a very underdog week. Um, I think the Ravens have struggled throughout the season. That's, uh, you can't, like, unnegotiable. But we know the Saints defense and how they were expected to come into the season booming. I know in which, like, like they, someone may find it hard to believe that I'm going to say that they're going to lock up this Ravens offense, but... I think that the only dimension that like is really surprising that they may lock up is Lamar Jackson. We saw Mark Andrews really do nothing a couple weeks ago. We know that there's no legitimate number one wide receiver for this team. So I'm expecting this offense to struggle. I think this is going to be a battle of defenses. And whichever team has the like more, more impressive defensive night is going to win. And... Hey, don't get me wrong. The new addition of Rokon Smith for this defense is going to be extremely good. And honestly, I'm very excited to see how that's going to be go for the Ravens. But I think for this game, the Saints have been kind of looked like, good recently. Like, they really have. And so I'm not expecting either team to really take away, like, take off from one another. But I think this is going to be a close game and come down to whichever defense kind of just asserts themselves more over the other team. I think the Saints coming to the season were supposed to be one of the better teams in the league. They have a losing record of 3-6. and six, And the defense you pointed out was supposed to be good. I, they have not been looking good besides last week. I'm going to be completely honest with you. And I don't think they're going to perform again with Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson, we know he has not been playing the best of best. But he is able to get it done when it's needed to at some point. Mark Andrews has been looking unguardable between... Besides a couple games, this guy has been looking like a wide receiver in a tight end body. And we know the run game is going to cause a lot of problems for the Saints. Um, they have not been the best of best stopping the run besides Josh Jacobs last week. And I think Lamar Jackson, he's not going to have a field day with them, but he's just going to have enough to get it done. Both defenses, I think, like you said, is going to be the key factor for this game. And I'm trusting the Ravens defense more than the Saints. The Saints offense, besides Kamara, has no true offensive power. They don't have a wide receiver one, and I do not trust Andy Dalton against this Ravens defense. So for that, I'm taking the Ravens over the Saints on Monday night. And that's all we have for today. And for more episodes, check out Top House Sports on Spotify. I'm Hansel Shulam, Kenny Motemit, and we'll see you next time.